That's the Caris Women's Chorus, founded in St. Louis nearly 25 years ago. The group began as a place for lesbians to enjoy making music in a safe environment. Now, more than ever, the group embraces all women. I'm Willis Ryder-Arnold. And I'm Nancy Fowler. And this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast. The evolution of Karis and the group's shifting priorities mirrors society's growing acceptance of various genders and sexualities. Nancy, you've a long history reporting on this community. I'm curious what it's like from your perspective to see the group grow and change. Yeah, so I was editor of the city's gay and lesbian, later called LGBT newspaper, not too long after Karis formed. And, you know, all these social constraints were very much in place. It was very much uh, a time when people needed these groups. They needed safe spaces. They they felt uncomfortable and, and unsafe. It's just been amazing to watch the group and society kind of move forward in big leaps in the past few years. And to highlight those changes, we've invited three group members to speak with us. Claire Minnis is a 20-something straight woman who's new to the group. Katie Benoit's a transgender woman who's been a member for 11 years. Sharon Spurlock joined in 1994, during a time when same-sex relations were actually illegal. Don't Ask, Don't Tell helped keep closet doors sealed shut, and marriage equality for the LGBT community was unthinkable. I think that community has always been a challenge for women in general, but for for certainly for lesbians and for the gay community, there wasn't a, a comfortable, safe space in the community to go other than bars. And so I think having a place to go that was about community and about sharing the message of who we were to people that didn't really ever have connection with an out lesbian and gay community was a real priority. And I can remember going to a concert that we performed at Tower Grove. Uh, It was a church in Tower Grove Heights many years ago, and we were doing our our Gay Pride concert from that June, and it was an audience filled with lovely elderly people, and there was a couple in the front row, and the woman about halfway through turned to her husband and said, well, I can die now because I have seen everything, and I thought, okay, I have achieved my (laughs) mission for the day because she really hadn't had any exposure at all, and for me to be able to stand there and, and have a diverse group of people sharing what our experience was, was that's what it was really all about. And I just want to point out that while you were talking, everybody at the table was nodding along with you. <laughs> Very enthusiastically, yes. So how did you learn of Karis and what made you join? Well, I have sort of an odd background because I didn't even realize we were going to sing in parts. I had no singing background. Really? What I had was the... Uh, end of my first relationship with a woman and a lack of all community. And I was suddenly kind of left feeling like I really needed that. And so I started doing some searching. This was pre-Google as to where I could find community. And uh, Karis happened to have placed their first ad in the Riverfront Times that week and I saw it and so I decided I was going to go and check out this chorus and after the initial panic that I had to learn to sing in parts and and do all these things um, I found that it was just exactly what I was looking for and developed some lifelong friendships from being in the group since 1994. 
for me, Karis really became like my longest term relationship. And there are times when we're singing concerts that maybe the theme isn't exactly my cup of tea or a song isn't my cup of tea, but I'm committed to the process of working with these women to create this unified sound and, and to share a message that we still think is important in the community. And I think that's being played out today more than ever. Claire, how did you get involved with Karis? Well, I had been in the St. Louis area for about three years since graduating college. And I made it very clear to a lot of people that I worked with and a lot of personal friends of mine that advocacy was something that I felt very called to do and community work was something I felt very called to do. So my mother's partner at the time, who is now her wife, um, reached out to me and said, there's this group, Karis, that is looking for a new artistic director. It's a women's chorus that advocates for LGBT and women's issues. And I said, that's like everything I've ever dreamed of and never knew that I could have. So um, made it to the final two, which was like my ultimate dream. And then they went with the very qualified other candidate. Okay. So my heart was just broken into pieces. But the bittersweetness of it was that I had found this thing that I could always hope to have, you know, in the future I could work toward it. And then a year later, I got this call out of the blue saying, Karis needs an interim director. And I said, oh my, please. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I'm in. So that, that was the fall of this year. And now you have an interesting story that both of your parents went on to relationships with people of the same gender. Is that correct? Exactly right. So I grew up in Farmington, Missouri. Small, small town, small field, everything that you imagine that to be. Um, My parents divorced when I was eight. And within a year, my mother had come out to our family, our immediate family. And then my father had also come out to our immediate family. And they say that they always knew and that they felt, you know, kindred connection to each other I think because they felt that compassion in each other and that I thought that my world was ending I thought that that was just I was cursed for till the end of time and I would never find a community I would never find a family I would never you know and it's turned out to be one of the greatest most impactful things that's ever happened to me So my mother has recently married her partner, and my father's been with his partner, and they have a, they built a home together, and my sister and I feel extremely lucky to appreciate love in a way that we feel like a lot of people take for granted, but we get to see how powerful and meaningful it can be. And Katie, I'd love to hear your story about how you also got involved with the group. I've been singing with the chorus on and off since 2006. Actually, Eric Henson, uh, who was an artistic director of ours, was a friend of mine, and he had just been appointed. And I had some apprehension at first about going to Karis because uh, as a transgender woman, I wasn't sure if I would be accepted and be out. And so there was there was some debating back and forth uh, between the board of directors. Uh, they did bring somebody in to speak towards uh, transgender issues to basically educate them kind of about what it's like to be trans and just kind of the issues that we face. Okay, so that then they could treat you appropriately. Well, and it's funny because later on, one of the board members told me the only real concern was whether or not my singing voice would blend in. That's the only (laughs) thing they were actually concerned about. 
So I went to my first rehearsal in 2006, and I had not had an experience in women's space before. I was about as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's been really good for me because, much like Sharon had alluded to, it really helped to give me a sense of community that I didn't have. And as a trans woman, it helped kind of strengthen my own inner identity as a woman, too, because, you know, not only am I singing in this all women's chorus, but my main part is second soprano now. And I didn't used to sing like that. So it's just been uh, focusing on trying to, to use my voice in a healthy way. So it seems like it was around that time. I don't know exactly. You know, there was a lot yes. of talk about who is a woman. You know, what, exactly. what does that identity encompass? Do you see that time period and your entry into Karis as sort of having a parallel in society? I can I can see the parallel. I think there was a lot of debate in the lesbian community uh, in the 2000s about, you know, well, what space can transgender women occupy within this social group? And, you know, now I, I have known so many trans women who are part of the lesbian community and they're accepted and they have friends and nobody really seems to care, which is ultimately kind of the goal that you want is just to kind of, you know, be another woman. So and the chorus has really helped solidify that for me. And Sharon, you mentioned a few questions back that you'd noticed a kind of like resonance between what was important regarding the group's mission and what was going on in today's society. I'm curious what sort of changes you've seen in the time that you've been involved where the actual organization is kind of either speaking to or reflecting what's going on in the broader American culture. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I was looking back on that because we are going to be celebrating our 25th anniversary next year. And The first thing I thought about was the difference in our singers, because women's choruses tend to be different than men's choruses. Women in our chorus, they occupy a lot of different sexual orientations. In the men's chorus, pretty much you're a gay man, but we have women of all, we don't know what their sexual orientation is until they come out to us, but (laughs) um, so we don't, we don't, we, we welcome everybody, but when we first started, a lot of people, we had people that would rehearse but not perform on stage. We had people that wouldn't put their name in the program. We had people that didn't invite family members to come to concerts. So that was sort of the space we started in. And, you know, issues at the time, AIDS was definitely the number one issue that we were focused on. And we have looked at other health issues along the way. We did a wonderful libretto about uh, breast cancer with the Gateway Men's Chorus that was was lovely. social things that have changed. You know, we've looked at marriage equality certainly has been the most enormous thing that's happened. But back when we started, we were looking at things like the don't ask, don't tell policy, being able to be out and coming out issues, all were talked about and sung about on stage. 
we were fortunate to have Katie with us. We sang a concert all about gender several years ago that really gave us an opportunity to talk about gender in a way that I don't think we, we've done in the past. So, uh, and, and in addition to all those things, we've talked about women's issues. We've talked about discrimination. We've talked about fair wages. We've talked about exploitation and sexual assault and all those kinds of things. So it's a, a space for a lot of topics that can be controversial and sometimes uncomfortable, but somehow when you put them in the context of music, people can hear them in a different way. You know, at this time after the election and, and you know, during the, the new presidency, I mean, there's a lot of pushback against the LGBTQ rights that have been secured during the last administration. So what are any of you feeling right now in regard to that? Well, I think a lot of women are worried about reproductive rights. Uh, they can't overturn Roe v. Wade, but they can definitely restrict it, restrict access so that women have a harder time receiving any type of medical care if they're low income, especially. For a lot of people, for a lot of both cisgender women and transgender women, Planned Parenthood is their medical provider. And a lot of these places, you know, if they, if they, perform abortion services, it's very rarely, and it's not the meat and potatoes of what they do. Issues for our community are the same as for the the broader community. I think that we want to be welcomed, and we want other people to be welcomed in our community, and the whole issue regarding immigrants and refugees is of concern. Healthcare is a universal concern, and so many of the women in our chorus have children, have uh, lower income jobs where they really need to rely on some of those government resources. So I think that, that there's been a lot of fear about where we're going to be going in the future. And and I think that people are trying to figure out what they can do, how they can use their voices in ways that maybe they haven't done, done in a long time. Claire, I'm curious, as artistic director, how you try and kind of reflect what's going on socially in the aesthetic choices you're making. We have a partnership with the Missouri History Museum right now where we align our programs with the current exhibits that are happening at the Missouri History Museum. So our upcoming concert for the spring is Women Rising. And it's talking about starting with the suffragette movement, issues that specifically interact with women throughout this century. Which really culminated recently in the women's marches. Right, which we were lucky enough to sing for. Katie, did you sing at that? I did, yeah. I find it an interesting twist of fate that my first experience with women's space was with Karis, and then to be present at such an epic event as the St. Louis Women's March, I spent a lot of the time listening to the speakers basically crying because I was reminded of how much progress has been made in regards to LGBT advocacy in general, but especially with trans women, of course. But to hear... So many of the speakers were minorities, and they mentioned, you know, other minority groups by name, they, you know, and, and for the first time I heard in the midst of feminist dialogue, I heard the word trans women publicly, you know, for what was the first time for me, and it was such an overwhelming experience. And to share it with the women in my chorus was just, I, I it, it just brought me to tears. Tell me about the choice of the song from, what, the 60s, I guess, You Don't Own Me. What was the reason? What was the thought behind that song? 
clear. We thought that it was important with our programming to be optimistic about our future, but to also empower women to know that we can be agents of change rather than hoping that other people do it for us. So um, a song like You Don't Owe Me, which was so incredibly powerful, and our powerhouse singers who can do it was, um, was, I think, a big statement to make there. One of the things that you'd mentioned was kind of like the various different groups that you saw represented at the Women's March and that kind of various groups of minorities are important. And at this point in time, a lot of conversation exists regarding the idea of intersectionality and the various ways that systems of oppression are actually affecting multiple groups at the same time. I'm curious how you kind of address that within the women's group of Karis. Well, you know, Claire said that for this next concert, we're going to be focusing on a lot of rights movements that have impacted women. That includes civil rights. That includes the LGBT rights. So there are a lot of ways in which you can be informed and look at things in from more than one place in your life. Uh, one of the things that we feel really strongly about is trying to make sure that we are as representative as possible. So by pulling those pieces of movements into our concert, we are taking an opportunity to look for partnerships, and we're hoping to find groups in the community that are currently working on civil rights issues, that are currently working on issues with the LGBT community that will want to come in and talk about the history of their movement as part of our concert experience and then have an opportunity to table and share their mission with people while they're there as well. I know we mentioned a little bit about sort of the lack of racial diversity right now in Karis, and is that something that you're working on, and if so, how? Constantly. You know, I, I think that we have always tried to be a welcoming place, and welcome comes in a lot of ways. For one thing, I think the way we advertise that we're looking for singers, the way that we advertise our concerts, making sure that we're putting it out there and publications and places where people will see it, that people of all backgrounds will see it is really important. I think that um, the types of music we perform is really important, and that's such a fine line to, to decide whether you are going to sing spirituals or whether you're going to sing R&B songs and things like that. But we try to take that from a respectful place and make that a part of our concerts. You know, we've been very fortunate to have some incredible guest artists like Denise Times and Kim Massey in the past, and so that's helpful. And right now, I'm uh, quite diligently working to bring some women of color or, or men of color onto our board of directors, because I think we really have to go to that place of leadership to try and, and continue to move forward. We have certainly had uh, women of color sing in the course from the beginning, but we'd like to have the stronger representation. Nancy and I were talking about was we'd really like to hear about any moments of performance that stood out to you. Katie, not to put you on the spot, <laughs> but I'd be very interested in whether or not there were any specific performances that stood out to you or that you felt very connected at. Uh, there, there, were, there were two. We, a couple concerts back, we did Royals uh, by Lord, 
And uh, I was asked by the artistic director at the time to utilize my beatboxing skills on stage. Awesome. And it's funny because I heard so many comments from a lot of people about that performance and how that was just really, it, it came through really well during the concert. Uh, the other one was the time that we performed Beautiful by Christina Aguilera. And uh, our artistic director at the time uh, had done vocal work with some trans women, so had some contacts, did some interviews. And uh, we had put together a video of some interviews interspliced with some of the music. And we kind of try to over, try to perform one on top of the other for a certain effect and uh that i was i i was crying i yeah it was it was the, the ugly cry face was going on so <laughs> what did that mean to you to be singing that song and, and those words well it meant that my sisters in the chorus accepted me for ta- for tackling such a at the time was it was before caitlin jenner before laverne cox it was before we had before we had a lot of transgender uh, visual activists. And so it meant that the sisters in my chorus just accepted me and we're tackling this and we're all in this together. And that's the biggest thing that Karis has given to me in my 11 or so years of being with them. Claire, do you have a moment that comes to mind that was particularly meaningful? I think every week at rehearsal, those rehearsals are emotional for me to, to see all these people trying new things and and really building community, you know, walking into the room and being so excited to see each other, that's heartwarming every time we, we get to see it. How is it to direct your mom? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm gonna cry. I love, I love getting to share this with my mom. I've been lucky enough to do it for about two years now. And she, she's a very confident performer. She performs on her own, you know, with a guitar, with some percussion instruments or piano, all this all this stuff. My whole family does it all the time. But when she came to be part of my chorus, she was so self-conscious that I would judge her for what she gave us. But, you know, like I've said, it's a beautiful gift that we all share with each other. And it has to be accepted in, in a positive way. And then we have to build something beautiful from it. And it's so wonderful to see your face there every day, and I get to hug my mom at least once a week, so that's beautiful. Sharon, any stories from the past? One of my very favorite concerts we did was the Vegans of Provincetown. Oh, The Vegans of Provincetown? We rewrote <laughs> Gilbert and Sullivan's Pirates of Penzance. Three of our chorus members rewrote it. So the pirates were the vegans, and the major general's daughters were sous chefs on a Olivia cruise ship, which is a lesbian cruise line. And um, within the context of that, we were able to talk about all kinds of social issues, including marriage equality, veganism, (laughs) many interesting things. So it was really a fun concert to do and outstanding musically. They have a gala festival every four years where all the gay and lesbian choruses come together for a week of singing and 
frivolity and it's frivolity. all very awesome. And this last time was in Denver over the summer and there were 218 performing groups. I believe there was over 6,000 people that were in Denver for this wow. festival. So out of that 218 groups, we after our performance, we were asked to be one of four groups to close the ceremony as one of the showstoppers from the week. So we were really, really proud of that. Some of these choruses are 150 member audition choruses and we were at the table. So that was cool. All right. That's great. So I wanted to ask you if you could, like, just pick a song and do a little bit of acapella performance. We could sing something from the current program that we've been doing. We could sing something together. We could do, um, do you remember the Will the Circle Be Unbroken melody? Will the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by. There's a better home That was Sharon Spurlock, Claire Menace, and Katie Benoit talking about the St. Louis Women's Chorus called Karis. Their next concert is April 28th and 29th at the Missouri History Museum. And what's the name of that concert again? It's called Women Rising, which seems appropriate. And so this is Cut and Paste, St. Louis Public Radio's arts and culture podcast produced by Stephanie Lecce and Nancy Fowler. And Willis Ryder Arnold, with help from our editor, David Casares. You can find Cut and Paste at stlpublicradio.org or wherever you get your podcasts. St. Louis Public Radio's podcast series Cut and Paste is made possible by space, architects, designers, and builders, creating St. Louis's favorite spaces. If we try, Lord, if we try. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.